Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where there is no offseason. We're going to be talking about baseball 52 weeks out of the year, even during the winter when there are no games going on. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from a Sully Baseball studio in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl on this day, the 27th day of June, 2017. Hey, uh, I am working for the relaunch of Sully Baseball, which is going to be coming up relatively soon. But uh, I had said that I was going to do a series of mini-episodes so I can check off all of the teams that should have won because I said I was going to complete that series. And the way I'm reformatting the new version of the show, it probably won't fit to do this segment, but I don't want to leave out any fans. So over the next couple of weeks before the relaunch is official, I am going to drop a couple of Smaller bonus episodes. It's going to feel a little bit like the Sully Baseball Daily is back because it's going to be a few of them a week and they're going to be shorter in the 15 to 20 minute range. So, hey, those of you missing the Sully Baseball Daily, eh, it's, I guess it's a little, I'm not going to call it a comeback. I'm just going to call it a house cleaning. So, we've got a bunch of teams that we haven't done. Now, I have done Milwaukee and Colorado. I've done some of the teams that you probably wouldn't think I would have done. Uh, but here's one. Let's go to a traditional one. Let's go to one that has a lot of history and one that has a relatively recent world championship to its name, and that's Chicago, the Chicago White Sox, not the Chicago Cubs. Sorry, Cubs fan with an eight. I'll deal with yours later. I actually had to stop and think, did I do a Cubs team that should have won? I think I know which one I'm going to do, but no, 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 no. I won't be that person who can only talk about the Cubs even when I'm talking about the White Sox. I have a feeling that if I grew up in Chicago, I probably would have been a White Sox fan. And the White Sox are always one of those teams I have a soft spot in my heart for, mainly because they are really the forgotten team of Chicago. And even, you know, even their legacy, when they won in 2005, when the Red Sox won, they hadn't won since 1918. Oh, my God, it's the greatest thing ever. When the Cubs won, they haven't won since 1908. Oh, my God, it's the greatest thing ever. White Sox haven't won since 1917. Eh, we'll put football on the cover of Sports Illustrated. That, seem, that seems right. That seems reasonable. You know, the White Sox, by all reckoning, probably shouldn't be in Chicago. A lot of cities, including New York came to the conclusion that they really can only support one team. Now, New York ultimately wound up getting the Mets, but there was a period of time of that mindset of, yeah, you know what, one city, one team. And the White Sox had several times where they could have moved. And a couple of times, it seemed like it made sense to move. You know, they almost moved to Milwaukee. In fact, they played a bunch of home games in Milwaukee after the... Uh, um, after the Braves left Milwaukee, to sort of say, hey, why don't we just play here? We're not drawing in Comiskey Park. The Cubs are drawing in Wrigley. Why don't we have Milwaukee to all ourselves and still keep a lot of the fans who refuse to root for the Cubs? That didn't work out. And the White Sox were going to move to Seattle. It was going to happen. Danny Kaye was going to move the team to Seattle. And Bill Veck came in and said, if I get enough money to keep the team in Chicago, we'll keep it in Chicago. And the rest of the owners said, yeah, right. And he did. And the city of Seattle, who was already a thorn in the side of Major League Baseball, was saying, all right, we're going to sue the pants off you. And to quell the anger based upon not just 
not getting the White Sox, but losing, possibly illegally, the Pilots after the 1969 season, the Mariners were formed. The Mariners exist because the White Sox wanted to move to Seattle, and they didn't. And they almost moved to Tampa Bay. The existence of the, the stadium, which I'm going to just call New Comiskey, because I don't know what the hell it's called now, is based upon some backroom dealing to keep the White Sox in Chicago instead of becoming the Tampa Bay White Sox, which it really looked like they were going to be. You could make the argument that Chicago should be a one-baseball team town, but in the name of everything that is Jimmy Pardo, I like the fact that there are two Chicago teams, and I, you know, I have a soft spot, and, I, and I've always found myself rooting for the White Sox. Okay, not in 2005 when they swept the Red Sox, but the Red Sox had won the World Series the year before, and you know, if you're going to be eliminated be eliminated by the White Sox. And the White Sox went on to win that World Series in 2005, taking the monkey off the back and giving Cub fans, uh, 11, uh, giving, sorry, White Sox fans, I did it again, giving White Sox fans the chance to say, hey, we won it first. A whole decade ahead of that ground ball to Bryant over to Rizzo. It was a wonderful team in 2005, and the greatest White Sox player of all time, Frank Thomas, got his ring. It was a little weird because Thomas was injured and actually wasn't much of a factor on that team. He only played like 30 games the whole year. And it was kind of an unusual team that won with the White Sox. Not too dissimilar from the team that won with the Red Sox in 2004 in that it was kind of cut and pasted from a bunch of different teams. You know, you had, you know, Paul Canerco, of course, is a, uh, not a lifetime White Sox, but a great White Sox for, for most of his career. And there was a handful of players who were like Mark Burley, who you would certainly associate with the White Sox. But, you know, Jermaine Dye came in relatively late, and Scott Podsednik, and Carl Everett, and A.J. Pierzynski. There was a lot of transient White Sox players who came through, won, and got the hell out of there. So when we go through the teams that should have won, one of the reasons why I've been doing this series is to find that one team with the perfect group of players and characters that would have won and would have made it perfect. Now, it's difficult for me to go back to the Go-Go Sox of 1959 and the White Sox team that came really close in 1967. The White Sox had some very, very good teams that just fell short to the New York Yankees over and over again, save for 1959 when they won the pennant but lost the World Series to the new Los Angeles Dodgers in 1959, the, which was, by the way, the only World Series played in Chicago between 1919 and 2005. I mean, the only one that the White Sox played in, sorry. Um, but the White Sox, of course, had original sin. And to go back and say the 1919 White Sox through the World Series, it gave us Field of Dreams at Eight Men Out, to be sure, and my video collection has enjoyed that. But that has hung over the franchise until the victory in 2005. They were the franchise that took the money and threw the World Series. And... Because of that, that was a curse that hung over the team that seemed to be based a little more in reality than a billy goat 
or the sale of Babe Ruth. Now, of course, I don't believe in curses, but hanging a, a hex over a team based upon something that really happened and something that affected what really happened on the field is a little more intriguing, at least for your pal Sully, than a goat. So I was thinking about the White Sox and some of the teams that could have won or should have won. Now, for me personally, the team that I would have liked to have seen won that didn't win, that was a Chicago White Sox team, uh, this is not the official one I'm picking, this is just for personal reasons, is in 2008, now granted I wanted the Red Sox to repeat as world champions too, but if the Red Sox couldn't repeat as world champions in 2008, I wanted the White Sox to win, even though Tampa Bay would have been a great story, even though there was you know great stories left and right in that postseason, you know, the Cubs were even in the postseason. They had the best record in the National League. Oh, my God, this is the year for the Cubs. I was rooting for the White Sox for one reason and one reason only. Ken Griffey Jr. was on the White Sox. Ken Griffey Jr. is my favorite non-Red Sox player of all time. And so I knew time was running out for Ken Griffey Jr. to win a World Series ring. And down the stretch, the White Sox needed another bat. And they brought in Griffey. They, had, they already had Jim Tomei on. And it would have been super cool to see Jim Tomei win a World Series ring too. But Griffey, to me, was my guy. And I wanted him to win in Seattle. He didn't win in Seattle. I would have been fine with him winning in Cincinnati. He didn't win in Cincinnati. So, his, you know, I know he wound up retiring as a member of the Seattle Mariners. But it seemed like his last real shot to get a ring was in 2008. But they lost to Tampa Bay three games to one. And that was that. I bet you even forgot the White Sox were in that postseason. And I'm pretty sure you probably forgot that Ken Griffey Jr. cashed a few checks as a member of the Chicago White Sox. But that's tough for me to pick for a whole franchise based solely on my own personal love of a player who no one associates with that team. So I basically narrowed it down to three teams. Three teams that if this were the White Sox team that won it all, man, it would have been something amazing, something special. Not to take anything away from 2005, but that the cast of characters and have the results be something that is, well, really something special. The first team I'm going to take is probably one you've forgotten unless you're a diehard White Sox fan. And that is the 2000 Chicago White Sox. Now, here's something I, I'm guaranteeing you forgot. The White Sox in 2000 had home field advantage throughout the postseason. Throughout the postseason, the White Sox, who won 95 games under manager Jerry Manuel, would have, they would have had the deciding game in their home park, which at the time, I believe, was still called New Comiskey Park. I've been wrong about this before. I'll be wrong about it again. Now, the reason why that White Sox team would have been really intriguing is, uh, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, for that reason, it's a new century, and I'm sorry, folks, 2000 was a new century. It's a new millennium. All the numbers turned to zero. If you have it, it actually was 2001. Shut up. Jesus. Stop it. 
It was 2000. That's when the numbers turn over. That's when everything's different. I wait. I wait for that little one. I'm going to I'm going to take this snow shovel and it, it's going to be over for you. You know, someone actually wrote to me like, "You know, when you joke about violence like that, that's just it's I'm not really threatening people with a snow shovel." Huh. Nitpicking, nitpicking, nitpicking. The 2000 Chicago White Sox. Now, people think about 2000. It's one of the years that the Joe Torre Yankees won the World Series. But that Yankee team didn't win 90 games. And they finished the season horribly. They won a horrible slump in the last few weeks of the season, which almost cost them the division. They almost didn't make the playoffs if the Red Sox didn't lose a couple of games down the stretch. There would have been a one-game playoff. And so the Yankees kind of stumbled into the postseason, didn't look like they were at their best, and looked like, well, you know, they won two straight world championships. Maybe this isn't going to be the year. Maybe this was going to be Chicago's year. And in a new century, in a new beginning, turn the page and say, hey, maybe Chicago can win in this new century. Now, the thing that I like about this team is the fact that when you go down the list of some of the players who are on it, there's a combination of different eras mixing together in that 2000 team. Frank Thomas, the greatest White Sox player of all time, had a fantastic season. His 43 home runs, he had an OPS of 1.061. He slugged 625. You know, do you like RBI still? Well, he drove in 143. You also had Maglio Ordonez had a tremendous season, and you had young Paul Canerco hitting a snot out of the ball too. So you had you know, Ordonez and Thomas and those types, and you had Canerco and the connection to the team that would ultimately be there in 2005. Joe Creedy was also on that team. You had Ray Durham. You had Carlos Lee. You had a bunch of really good White Sox were on that team. And when you take a look at the pitching staff, well, you had Keith Folk. In fact, I'll tweet this at Keith Folk. Keith Folk's really good at Twitter. Keith Folk was the closer. That is a Red Sox fan. I love me some Keith Folk. But you also had, you know, you had some players like, you know, Soratka and, and James Baldwin, some, you know, some good solid pitchers on that team. But you also had Mark Burley. You also had John Garland. And, for your pal Sully's point of view, a person who was on that team, and, you know, only for the handful of, you know, pinch hit at bats at DH spots, and he did not have his best time. But you had Harold Baines on that team. One of the things I find really intriguing, and I guess this is only in retrospect in the significance of what 2005 was, but you had several great White Sox players, including some of different eras, combining Harold Baines with Paul Canerco and Joe Creedy, with a dash of Burley and a sass of Thomas. You have a really interesting cast there of really beloved White Sox players, John Garland on there, who all would have won their ring at the same time. And in my eyes, that's really the point of these lists and of these teams. And you say, can we do it all at once? Can we get all of them at once? Give them all their rings at once. And 2000, a year where they went into the postseason with, yeah, we're the cream of the crop. Especially with the, the Mariners stumbled a little down the stretch and lost the division to an upstart Oakland A's team. The A's looked very strong against the Yankees, but they were also green. 
figuratively and literally with their uniforms, it looked like a pretty fair stretch into the World Series for the White Sox. Keeping also in mind, that was a year where the Braves got swept by St. Louis, so the whole obstacle of who's going to stop Atlanta was taken away rather early, and the pennant was won by a good but somewhat flawed Mets team. Now, what happened to the White Sox? Well, they got swept by Seattle, and it's one of those misleading sweeps. The White Sox sweep of the Astros of the 2005 World Series is a misleading sweep. By that, I mean three out of the four games in that were decided in the last at-bat for the, or actually, no, but they were decided by one run or a few. I mean, it was just, it was, it was close. You had a walk-off homer, you had a 14-inning game, and then you had a one nothing game where it was no score going to the eighth in that World Series between the Astros and the White Sox. Yeah, it was a sweep, but it wasn't like the White Sox kicked the Astros' ass. It was four competitive games. And in the sweep by the Seattle Mariners, the White Sox lost an extra inning game at home and lost on a, a drag walk-off drag bunt by Carlos Guillen in Game 3. So two of the games that they lost were winnable. They were one swing away from winning Game 1. So if the, two of those games were, were flipped, White Sox probably would have gone far, but they didn't. And it's a shame because that's a forgotten White Sox team, you know, ex except for the diehard fans. It's certainly not a team that you think about if you're not a big White Sox fan. Now, I was going to say 1994 in the strike year, but I really think that year it was going to come down to the Indians and the White Sox in a really, really challenging uh, stretch run. And Cubs fan with an eight doesn't like it when I have more than one team hogging a... Uh, a year that they should have won. And I'm really thinking about the Expos for that year. Spoiler alert. But the year before, 1993, was an interesting year for the White Sox. That they got back into the postseason after being really bad for a while. And they were able to leapfrog a slumping Oakland A's team. And go face off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, it's tough for me to pick this team because the Blue Jays were just better. I rooted for the White Sox in that series uh, for several reasons, but uh, the Blue Jays were a better team. They were better top to bottom. Now, to be sure, the White Sox had some very interesting players, and anytime you can have a championship where you have, uh, you know, Frank Thomas was on that team, Ozzie Guillen was on that team, uh, Tim Raines and uh, Robin Ventura, there were a lot of guys who had been there through thick and thin, Ron Karkovice. Uh, and then you take a look at some of the, you know, you had, as I mentioned before, they had uh, Blackjack McDowell, who I was always a big fan of, ex except when he flipped off the Yankee fans, that was a little bush. But, you know, you had the likes of, you know, Wilson Alvarez, Alex Fernandez. There's a lot of, you know, players that I associate with the Chicago White Sox. Now, there's one thing that went for them in my sentimental reasons to want this team to win, and one thing that went against them. I'll tell you the thing went against them. They cut Carlton Fisk and kind of treated him kind of wrong. Now, I've never met Carlton Fisk. I don't know. I don't know. He could be a pain in the ass, for all I know. But the fact of the matter is the White Sox just kind of cut him and then didn't even let him show up to the clubhouse to congratulate the team when they won the division. Now, it could be petty ownership or it could be people saying, Pudge, 
out. Bye. So, I mean, maybe I'm not thrilled about that. But one thing that would be really, would have been really cool about that is a player who, you know, he only played, how many games did he play? He only played 85 games and hit 16 home runs. But it was Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson, one of the most fun figures in the history of sport. I'll say it. Did I say he was the greatest? No. But he's one of the most fun. It was pure joy being a sports fan with Bo Jackson. And this was his only trip to the postseason, was in 1993. Now, he remained hitless. He did not have a good postseason. And if he got a couple of extra base hits in those games in uh, Toronto, maybe they would have been up 3-2 to two instead of down 3-2 to two going back home. So... But I would have loved to have seen Bo Jackson get a ring and to do it alongside Frank Thomas and Robin Ventura and all those longtime White Sox players. But that's not the one I'm going to pick. This one was hard, but it goes to emotions as well. The White Sox team I wanted to pick was 1983. Now I'll explain why 1983, because... I, it really, to me, it really came down to 2000 or 83. 2000 was a Venn diagram of beloved White Sox players right there smack dab in the middle. But something about 83 has a combination of nostalgia and wackiness that kind of attributes what the White Sox are about. The White Sox are similar to the Mets in some ways, in that they are the less popular team to the main team of the city, which is the Cubs, in the way the Mets are to the Yankees. But along the way, they've had to be a little sillier. They've had to be a little rougher around the edges. They've had to be a little goofier in order to get some people's attention, whether it's exploding scoreboards or disco demolition night or Bermuda shorts or lapels on the uniform or all sorts of craziness. And it's not all Bill Vec. You know, some of it is just, this is the personality of our fans. This is the personality of our team. We're not as precious as Cub fans, just like Met fans are not as precious as Yankee fans. And there's goofiness with the Mets and signs and, and a little bit of a, hey, well, if we're not the most popular kids, then let's act like a little bit of goofs. And the uniforms that they wore in 1983 were among the worst uniforms of the history of baseball, which in a way made them beautiful. With socks right across the, their chest and the white front to their caps and the number on the leg. They just looked silly and ridiculous and goofy instead of being any form of tradition. By the way, go through the uniform history of the White Sox. They've had the same uniform for basically the last 20 years. But between the, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and the first few years of the 90s, they just kept changing the uniform over and over and over again. And it didn't get uglier than 1983, with no attempt to be anything that was traditional. And yet, one of the things that is so, oh, I don't know, meaningful 
for a fan base is to have some sort of continuity. You, it's the idea of you're rooting for laundry. You're also rooting for a venue. I'm glad that the Red Sox won the World Series and that their home park was not a circular donut in Waltham, Massachusetts. I'm sure Cub fans are thrilled that they won their championship where their home park was Wrigley Field. I know there are some San Francisco Giant fans who wish they could have won one in the stick. And the fact that 83, with the goofy, crazy uniforms that they had, they were still playing in Comiskey. The great highlight of 1983 was the clinching of the winning ugly White Sox, where Harold Baines hit the fly ball to center field. Cruz came in to score the division-winning run, and the place went crazy. Everyone's running on the field, and it's Comiskey. It's the same damn place. It's got the green seats and the yellow highlights. It's the white exterior, and it's not pretty. They won ugly, and it was the... It was the personality of that team and the personality of those fans coming together. And if they had won one, instead of in that kind of antiseptic shopping mall stadium that they play now, but one in that just truly had the personality of the White Sox. Carlton Fisk would have been a world champion. And you would have had players like Harold Baines. You would have had players like uh, Vance Law and Ron Kittle and Rudy Law. And, you know, Greg Luzinski was on that team. And you would have had, you know, what's his name? Uh, Lamar Hoyt with the barbiturates stuffed down his crotch. And a bunch of the players like, you know, uh, uh, Floyd Bannister and, and the Jerry Kuzman, ancient Jerry Kuzman was on that team. You would have had all those different players playing together and winning. And you also would have had Tony La Russa winning as a Chicago White Sox manager. And if La Russa had the aura of being a World Series champ in Chicago, who knows? Maybe they don't fire him. Maybe he doesn't wind up setting up shop in Oakland and in St. Louis and winning all those titles there. Maybe they win tons of titles in Chicago. Remember, the AL West was very winnable for a while until, guess who? La Russa. And the A's dominated for the last part of the 80s. I think that's the team that should have won. It may have changed the history of the White Sox. It would have given them the leg up on the Cubs, who would have the, their own tournament the very next year in 1984. And maybe put the team on a map in a way that, well, they just weren't for a long time. And you would have had that title in Comiskey. Instead, what happened? They got to the League Championship Series against the Baltimore Orioles. And it was a... It was a evenly matched league championship series. The White Sox were a 99-win team, and the Orioles, I think, were 98. They were very close. Lamar Hoyt won that first game 2-1. to one. Boddicker throws a complete game shutout number two. Uh, the Orioles blow the roof off the joint in game three. But game four was a 10-inning game. It was no score going into extra innings. If they got one run... One run in innings one through nine. They force a game five with Lamar Hoyt on the mound. Chances are they win that, and chances are the White Sox clobber the Philadelphia Phillies. And then you'd have that title. 
Instead, they waited for 05, and I know White Sox fans, and they love 05. It would have been great. But imagine one title in Comiskey with those uniforms, with Baines and Fisk and all of them. So, for what it's worth, in this little mini episode, which is actually turning to be almost as long as a regular episode, I say the 1983 Chicago White Sox are the team that should have won. So I'm going to do a few of these. So go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. Uh, the music is by Ted Tiger, Magic Kaliski. Uh, keep an eye out on your RSS feed because there's going to be a bunch of these that I'm going to be dropping. This has been a special White Sox edition of the Sully Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.